good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. This is the Curious Anarchy podcast, and I'm here today with another episode of the Wellbeing series. Today's guest is Rebecca. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. <laughs> I'm getting nervous. Rebecca Richardson, um, you are a, a wonderful person. In fact, let me tell you about the first time I came across you. Um, the first time I came across you was by a video that uh, Naomi um, shared. Um, Naomi Elliott, Nams, you might know her as. Yeah, I think so. I think I know her through socials as well. I don't actually know her in real life. <laughs> this was ooh, a few years, a couple of years back now. Um, but you shared a, um, a story about something that took place in a post office there was, there was some kind of racism or something yeah that, basically uh, and, and your passion that came through in how you were telling the story and, and your part that you played in that i was just like yeah that's someone that i want to be <laughs> that, that's definitely someone who i want fighting the good fight on this side of the fence that's it <laughs> so here we are today uh, mm-hmm. this series is all about well-being and health and and how it plays out and functions in in our lives um you are somebody that works in the field of well-being mm-hmm. um, i'd like to explore some of that with our listeners um first of all if you could kind of just briefly um kind of give us a little bit of a background about yourself you know mm-hmm. where you grew up and that kind of thing of what course. You're right now so um, my story is very complex and long, so we'll try and really bring it down. Um, but I grew up in South East London. I've lived here my whole life. Um, initially, I studied fashion, so that was what I wanted to go into. Um, but I worked in the industry for a brief while and didn't really like it. I worked with young people once, like on a whim. It was just by chance and it literally changed my life and it made me want to go into that field of working with young people. Okay. Um, what so was it about then, fashion that, that you didn't like? Um, well, it was kind of just the timing really. Like, because I had worked with children, like just on a whim once, when mm-hmm. I kind of went back to fashion, it just didn't seem as important to me really. Um, working with product and then working with people you start to see really what kind of person you are Mm. so yes that kind of just changed it for me Um, so yeah I just got into youth work by chance um, as a volunteer and that just opened up so many doors for me Um, so yes the first place you worked the first place I worked was uh, the Streatham Youth and Community Trust so Uh, it's a small privately sort of owned and funded uh, youth club in Streatham Um, and that was really my first proper exposure to working with young people and sort of vulnerable people in the community in general Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I only left it last year so yeah I've been there for about six years Fantastic, fantastic. Because I'm, I'm just thinking about all of these things that people are saying in regards to our youth centres being shut down, and I was just yeah. wondering if that was one of them. That, but yeah, you, you said you've been there for six years. Yeah, so I started off as a volunteer. Right. 
um, and then I quickly sort of joined sort of as paid staff and I was only doing it really as like a creative person because I came from a fashion and creative background but then through that sort of company I had exposure working with different young people with different needs and then sort of alternative like collaborative companies so that's kind of how I got into the mental health and then brought it back to the youth club as a transferable skill basically. Okay um, and with your your experience and, and studying fashion um, what were you doing like what kinds of things were you doing? Um, so I basically went to the Fashion Retail Academy and was kind of introduced into all different elements of the industry. So it was kind of like a taste star. Um, and then once you kind of know what your niche is, you can then kind of develop and go in a more sort of one direction. Um, but I kind of just transferred it in terms of bringing it back to the youth club. I would kind of do creative sessions with the kids, um, not always about fashion, just generally like expressing yourself and kind of the history of what things mean and why people wear certain things. And fashion comes in cycles. And obviously, like young people think they know it all. And once you're older, you don't really have a grip on style. But it was just or reality. Yeah, but, <laughs> literally. But it was just educating them that you know it goes in circles like these things always repeat themselves and this is where they originate from and they feel like more interested and care about it more once they kind of understand the journey that it started from right 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 got you, got you. yeah um so yeah moving on let's let's talk about some of the experience that you you have you've worked in special needs with lgbt with uh, body image, sexual health, quite a number of, of fields, as, as well as pornography as well. That's, yeah. that's a topic that you cover with young people. Yeah. Um, t- tell us about what, what all of that, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a lot. It's a lot going on. But um, I worked for a company um, off the back of doing youth work, a company called Metro, and they're an equality and diversity charity specialising in like LGBT rights and support. Um, and one of the departments that they also have is like sexual health um, because even though even in school really we're not really taught about um, same sex couples or um, you know like same gender relationships we're not really educated in that stuff so the the LGBT community is at risk of certain things more so than the heterosexual community because there's such a lack of education mm-hmm. um so we kind of had facilities that were we had like gay men only clinics so that they would feel comfortable coming there and different things like that okay. um so my role within the company is i was a sexual education outreach officer if i remember correctly um so the main point of my job was to encourage young people to test for chlamydia because it's the most common sti with young people um one in three young people have it and has no symptoms 70 percent of the time so it's like a secret sti basically unless you test you don't know if you have it or not is that a nationwide thing or is that like a local or London? Uh, well that's the UK okay yeah um so and you know we've got free healthcare and free sexual healthcare and stuff so it just kind of shows you how big the issue is when a country that has all the amenities um mm-hmm. to be safer and educated still has quite a big issue um mm-hmm. 
so yeah so basically any which way I could encourage young people to test um, that is what I'd have to do basically but part of that um, so it'd be a lot of outreach a lot of speaking to them on the street but because there's such a stigma attached to it um, and it's not something that we talk about you know sex education in this country is really poor um, mm. in my opinion I don't really even remember getting it I think it was more like this is what a boy looks like this is what a girl looks like this is how babies yeah. are made well, <laughs> um, I remember doing something in science biology <laughs> Um, and it was like really brief. It was like maybe 10, 15 minutes. And then we just got to play around and laugh for a bit. Yeah. And but it yeah, is, you no know, real like care in terms not of like, at all. How, like the relational side of. of yeah. Relationship. We're not educated in what healthy relationships are. Consent is another massive thing that I realized working with young people. There's just not enough awareness and education. Um, and even through teaching some of the young people so most of it was outreach but sometimes we did used to get to go into schools and do sessions and then at the end hopefully the knowledge that you impart on the young people would encourage them to want to test um so we used to cover the pornography sexting um contraception healthy relationships consent so that was really a lot to fit into like an hour session with these young people but it really showed that there was such a there was a missed opportunity really because I would work with young people that were aged 15 to 25 and at the time I think I was like 21 so I was even educating okay. people older than me um <laughs> you know in this sort of topic and it just kind of showed the lack of education and knowledge and taboo even with social media being so rife and sexualized mm. with they're not speaking about the positive things and like you know sex doesn't have to be this big scary thing or you know pornography is not this demonic thing that everyone should kind of look at and feel like you know oh that's just like dirty or something you know there are some positives to it for example I used to say like to some young people if there are things that you want to experiment but you don't feel ready then as long as you understand that pornography is not real but it's a safe place for you to see how something makes you feel mentally before actually going out and putting yourself in a situation you might feel scared of or regret mm. that's kind of the positive side to it but then the other side is that it's so distorted from reality um that it makes young people feel like well if I don't look that way or if I can't do that kind of thing maybe I'm not attractive or I'm not good enough mm. so it's very difficult but obviously young people they do watch this stuff you know and I saw a statistic like 70 young people under the age of 10 have willingly gone and viewed pornography they've known what they've typed in you know yeah. under the age of 10 is crazy so regardless if it's a demon or not we still have to educate the young people because they're going to be exposed to it one way or another for sure sure yeah. um, okay so uh what what are you up to at the moment <laughs> oh that is such a complex question so <laughs> <laughs> Currently, I am, well, I have one more day at my job uh, that I'm doing at the moment, and that is working as an employment advisor. So I'm working with vulnerable people that have different barriers to prevent them going into work of any form. Yeah. Um, so I'm doing that. I'm also a self-employed beautician. Um, and another thing that's not a job, but it's something I take quite seriously is I use my social media platforms to speak about mental health or break down taboos and just basically bring up all the things that we're talking about in private, but no one's confident to bring to the forefront. Mm, okay, so you're, you're really breaking down some barriers then. I'm trying, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, you've also worked in neurodiversity. 
um, this was this was something that I was exploring with uh, in a previous episode with uh, Jareen Onko from Malaysia. She um, has a center for, for children with neurodiverse needs. Um, and that's something that she's had for some time. It's a, it's a, it's a very uh, specialist area, although I don't think that it should be because neurodiversity is just who we are. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's how we manifest into the world. Um, like t- t- talk to us a little bit about some of your experiences there please um so maybe like well it was last year and sort of the start of this year I was working in an SEMH college so special um, educational sort of mental health needs okay um so I think well I'm 26 at the moment so the type of young people that I was working with in my day being in school or college they would probably be considered you know the naughty children or the children that kind of you know they had no chance basically Mm. um but now being older and obviously more education being around sort of neurodiversity you can see that these people just have kind of additional needs or need adaptations in order to you know be able to function in society Mm -hmm. um so I found that uh, a lot of it is stigma and stereotype that we kind of have just instilled in us based on wherever we've come from, whatever we've learned. Um, it can be a very stressful environment to be in because I went into it with not much training, to be honest. Um, so I found it difficult to understand myself in certain situations. So sometimes, you know, young people with different um, social, emotional, mental health needs, they can become very triggered by something that the sort of average standard person wouldn't even think twice at, you know? Um, So certain things like I'm quite uh, expressive when I speak with my arms and stuff. And some young people actually found that quite triggering. So they found it quite intimidating when I did it. So that's something I had to really dilute in my own character just to be able to allow them to kind of get through the day wow. and it is really difficult because there's so many things that we do as people that we don't realize can really affect someone else who's different to us mentally so mm. it becomes very draining and constant because obviously you want to be able to help somebody not trigger them or cause them any discomfort or distress yeah sure Sure. Um, there's also with working with young people in that college age um, in my experience as well there was a lot of see social media again is such a massive thing it's just it's in every aspect of our life it seems so you know there seems to be no limitation to who can go online and who can do what so I would have many situations with young people that were 16 you know they look ordinary to look at but when you speak with them you realize that their age doesn't really match their mentality or maturity levels so you know we have young people that are 16 17 18 on social media but have the capacity to function as like a seven-year-old so you know they're more open to being groomed and exposed to things and to them not really understand either what's happening mm-hmm. um but you know they're especially with like autism and stuff their way of thinking can be so specific even when you try to educate it doesn't really matter what you say because the understanding is just not the same mm. so, so how do you work around that or work um, with that I should say it's a lot of like situations and scenarios and what would you do if it was you and kind of 
reverse psychology in a way um, to kind of put them in that situation if they were on the other side of it, for example. So I had a young person who had showed nude pictures of himself to somebody once and it had been exposed um, and he in turn had received nude pictures from a girl and he said that he wants to keep them and keep them safe because he knows the feeling of somebody not keeping them safe and exposing them which makes sense to him to him he he knows that he doesn't want them to be released because it's happened to him but trying to explain to him that you having them is also an issue Mm-hmm. Um, was difficult so it's sometimes it's a lot of like scenario playing and what would you do if this was this and because the the understanding is just not the same you know you have to repeat mm-hmm. things in different ways you have to apply it to different situations um, and just it's just constant really it's not just you know one conversation and it's done it's something that you have to revisit continuously because the understanding is just different mm-hmm. So yeah, very draining, which is why I had to step away for a little while. Okay, okay. Yeah. Like how, if you don't mind sort of going into that a little bit more personally? Definitely. So now I'm at a point where um, I didn't really realise, but working with vulnerable people for so long has actually really like left its mark on me. And I just totally didn't realise um I think I got into a point of thinking I'm educated enough in this sector to know how to help people so how could I ever need help sorry I I lost you for a moment there Uh, about 10 seconds (laughs) yeah um so I was saying that as sort of time has gone on I've kind of in a way sort of neglected myself and not really realized that I'm still like a person within this situation you become so used to being like the vessel that helps and you know people come to you for advice that you start to sort of in a way run on autopilot Mm -hmm. and you're doing everything to a high standard but then you know it's hard to switch off and different things like that for me personally as I said because I kind of got involved in this sort of industry on a whim um, I haven't really had the training to learn how to detach and compartmentalise. So as time's gone on, as much as I have really helped others, every time something is told to me or put onto me or I help someone, I mm. find it difficult to leave it with them when they're gone. Right. right. So I take it home and, you know, it's and it does, it becomes very draining and... I didn't realise, but there's such a thing as, like, occupational depression or, like, these yeah. things are induced because of working with vulnerable people day to day. You know, that's that's something that I really pick up and get a sense of um, in terms of a, a number of the people that I know work in, especially in the field of, like, youth work. Um, Temi Mwale, who might be someone you, you may know, she runs the Forefront Project, um, and there's oh what's his name from Birmingham his name eludes me right now but if it comes to me I'll mention it um there's a number of people all over the UK all over the world um, and I recognize that the work that they're involved in is is not it's not like a desk job you can't just go to work do some typing and then ding clock out the day and then come back to the next day it's it's a consistent thing like these people are on the roads on the streets out in the trenches and it's a 24-hour job. I was um, watching Craig Pinkney, that's it. Um, I was watching one of Craig Pinkney's interviews and um, 
he was talking about receiving phone calls at like two o'clock in the morning because mm. something's happened to someone and they need his support. They need him to come down and, and, and to, to, to do something. Like he, he's the person who's seen as the, the figurehead. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's quite a responsibility, you know? Um, but also there's, there's also the aspect of the care for the, the employee or the person who's carrying out these services. What, what support did you have or, or, or didn't you have? To be honest with you, I would say that I didn't have any support at all. And I think that's why I'm at the point I'm at now. Um, I think the pandemic for me really made me sort of spiral, but I didn't realise at the time. But now I'm sort of feeling the effects more. Um, So I had basically no employment at the beginning of the pandemic and then got literally I went on Indeed got an immediate start job at a hotel in Waterloo that was housing uh, I think it was 75 rough sleepers and homeless people due to the pandemic Um, and that was just that was like I can't even explain it it was like a whirlwind of just dysfunction honestly I can't describe it in any other way you know if you walk past somebody that's a rough sleeper on the street that's just one person's one person with one person's story so you imagine 65 plus of them all under one roof um you know we've got mental health issues we've got substance abuse issues uh criminal records all sorts you just can't even think you know and to have all of those people under one roof and you're everything for them you're the cleaner you're the psychiatrist you're the counselor the employment advisor the housing officer you are everything for those people in that time um and because of how the pandemic was you know and it was just kind of everything was just a hot mess really um and it was all hands on deck so I was working in this it was a volatile environment very much so and I always said from the beginning it was like a ticking time bomb because we were just not equipped to deal with those kind of people at all you know they need specialist assistance Mm -hmm. um and you know we had some people that would come in to the hotel that had substance abuse issues and would leave clean we had some people that were completely clean lost their home because of covid and left you know with severe heroin and spice addictions like it was just such all ends of the spectrum and it was constant and that was my life throughout the pandemic like it was everything so you know you become so attached to these people you have feel such a sense of duty and wanting to help them so and because of the nature you know you know you're going home to your house every day after work so for me it become like an obsession to help people because time was so limited and you know for a lot of them they didn't know how long like we did from one week to the next how long they were going to have the opportunity to stay in the hotel so it was just you know get what you can while you can type of thing but yeah that was crazy (laughs) yeah that's that's see i'm thinking perhaps it's the the particular sector within the industry um because when when i've spoken with some of the other like counselors psychotherapists they've they said that especially with um, with andrea actually um, who i used to work with um she left the company and then became um trained up to become a, a counselor mm-hmm. and she does now she's a counselor a coach and she says that she has somebody who is like a someone like a mentor someone that she can turn to and, and, and yeah. let all of those things go before she then goes back to, you know, her immediate surroundings, you know, working from home. Um, yeah. 
and engage with her life so that she's not carrying those those issues and where that doesn't happen I think then we're kind of left to our own devices and especially where you've come in at quite a young age um with no training um you didn't have any background in in that field so perhaps you weren't even aware of like what was available to you and it, perhaps it wasn't spoken about I, I, yeah. I don't know um but it's I feel like it's it's really essential that people like yourself have that support network there whether it's a friend or family member or, or a professional preferably someone who's a professional yeah. uh, you can you can go and unburden yourself you know and um, just so that you can then feel centered and and, and you know you, you feel comfortable with with who you are and not like you're carrying all the world's problems on your back. Yeah. Um, it feels like that. It really does. And I didn't even know until maybe the last few years that counsellors basically have counsellors. Like that yeah. was like such a revelation to me. I thought it just makes so much sense because before I used to think these people are like superhuman. How can you listen to all these people's issues and just still be okay? But it makes sense. Like everybody needs an outlet. Mm, mm, for sure, for sure. Um, and I'm aware that we are coming up to the end. So mm -hmm. I just have two points that I want to kind of run by you just to get yeah. your thoughts. Um, and then you can share like your, your social medias and contacts and, and what oh, have you. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, the first one is what doesn't break you makes you stronger. Mm -hmm. Are you asking if I live by that, believe it? What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think that whatever doesn't break you has the potential to break you down. Mm -hmm. So you have to be aware of that. I do believe that if it doesn't break you completely, that you can bounce back and you come back hardened. Um, but as I said, you know, I've been in many situations that have felt like they've broken me and I've felt like it's been fine. But then as time has gone on, it's shown that it's left cracks, you know? Mm. Mm -hmm. so partly <laughs> okay okay that's that's cool there, there's there is no right or wrong answer yeah that way. it's just simply getting um a perspective of where you where you approach these these kind of areas from cool. um and the next one is what does therapy mean to you oh that is a good one um therapy means to me an opportunity to breathe um, even though you're obviously engaging in something that is bringing on a lot of feelings and you're having to relive a lot of things it is an opportunity to just release and know that you have to live it again for that moment but once mm -hmm. you share it you know what they say a problems shared is a problem halved or something like that Yeah, um, and I do definitely believe in that it can be very traumatic having to go through therapy and relive certain things. But once it's out there and on the right person, in the right ears, it can change your life. Wow. Very profound. Very profound. Um, and Rebecca, just before we go, please, can you share your, your social media and, and how people can contact you, contact yes. you if they want to reach out? Um, so currently I'm mostly active on Instagram and Snapchat. So my Snapchat is Beloved Becca um, and my Instagram is Rebecca and Rose. Um, I was doing YouTube for a little while, Rebecca Rose's Tuesday Tea, 
I'm potentially going to get back into that when I'm feeling better on myself. But yeah, that's yeah. me. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you. Uh, deep pleasure. I just wanted to double check. Is it Richardson or Rose? Well, it's Richardson by law, but Rose by <laughs> socials. Okay. Rebecca Rose, everybody. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a great day. Much appreciate you spending some time thank with you. me. Thank you. Oh, I was so happy we finally got to do it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, that's all we've got time for today on the Wellbeing Series right here with Rebecca Rose. Thank <laughs> uh, you. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. Bye.